Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the We Are Podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. I'm uh, a day late with this this week. I just was not feeling real well Sunday evening after coming back from the Illinois game. So I, I just could not, didn't have a voice to to get the podcast done. So I apologize. I'm recording this now after Monday Night Football. Steelers just beat the Browns in a crazy game uh, with Joey Porter Jr. making a defensive play when I'm not necessarily going to say the defensive, but he made a defensive play at the end of that game. Was it pass interference or not? I'll get to that a little bit later on. Uh, this is the Penn state podcast. You can hear all that stuff on the, in the Steelers coverage, but I do want to point out how college football is different from the NFL. When you're in Penn state's situation, Steelers, Steelers offense is terrible. Okay. Steelers offense is awful. They had nine first downs against the Browns. They won because they had two defensive touchdowns. But the NFL is a week to week league. You, you, you're thankful for any victory you get because every victory is so difficult. You're not looking ahead in the NFL. You're not looking at the Steelers schedule and saying, Oh, in week seven, they've got so and so. If they get nine first downs, you know, they're going to, well, cause you can lose anytime in the NFL. It's, it's about this game right now. College football is about looking ahead in a lot of ways because there are generally so many, if not so much easy victories, clear victories on the schedule. And your season, if you are a very highly ranked, high powerful team, your season comes down to one or two games, which makes it more difficult in college football to stay in the moment from a fan-based perspective and from a media perspective, I will admit that. But what do I mean by all this, okay? Penn State's 3-0. and uh, Three comfortable victories, 30-17 to at Illinois. If you're winning by 17 points on the road in the Big Ten in your quarterback's first career road start and first road start in conference, hey, look, you... James Franklin called it a pretty Big Ten win. It was not. It was not pretty, but it was a it was a win. It was a comfort win. The game was never really in doubt. The defense was phenomenal. But a lot of the talk after the game has been they're not going to be able to play like that against Ohio State. They're not going to be able to play like that against Michigan because those are the two games that will define the season. And again, that's the difference between 
college football and the NFL. All we can do, not all, but a lot of what we do in college football is we project how the team looks right now and against certain opponents because they were, look, two touchdown favorites over, over Illinois. Everybody expected them to beat Illinois pretty comfortably, and they did. So what we do when we come out of the game is we project, well, if they perform like that against Ohio State, they're going to lose. They perform like that against Michigan, they're going to lose. Well, those games are a month away. Ohio State's October 21st, Michigan November 11th. So those games are far down the road. But you, if you get what I'm talking about, living in the moment, staying present and focusing on what happens in this particular game without necessarily always looking forward. And I'm as guilty of this as anybody. I, I will admit, I've already, at the beginning of the year, I've already pointed out that a lot of my coverage this year with this Penn State football team is going to be based and built around the notion of what will it take to beat Ohio State and Michigan. I picked them to go 10-2. and two. I think they're going to lose to Ohio State and Michigan. But if they can win one of them, Though I think Penn State goes to the playoff for the first time. So, so everybody knows the goal. Everybody knows the situation. Sure. They, they beat West Virginia. I don't think West Virginia is very good, despite what they showed in the backyard brawls. I think Pitt's offense is atrocious. Okay. And then they destroyed Delaware, an FCS team, and, and they go on the road, comfortable win against Illinois. James Franklin has pointed out a couple times, Hey, winning games is hard. You look around the country. And a lot of teams lose games. Winning games is difficult. And that is true. So that's why I wanted to focus on this for a few minutes to start the podcast of uh, reminding everybody, and this is including me, including everybody in the media, that, you know, uh, to kind of stay, try to stay a little more focused on the here and now and what happens in an individual game without always projecting how it's going to impact Ohio State in a month and Michigan in seven weeks or whenever. Now, I'm going to be a hypocrite and I'm going to lie and I will flat out tell you that no matter what, how much I talk about it here and how much I say it would be good if everybody could do this, I'm not going to do it and you're not going to do it. And 90 plus percent of fans for Penn State are not going to do it. They're going to see a team, the offense struggle against Illinois and they're going to default to can't play like that against Ohio State. Can't play like that against Michigan. If you don't fall into that category, good for you. If you're able to stay in the moment and and just focus on the here and now, good for you. Because that's not really what college football at certain levels, and especially with Penn State, when your season comes down to two games, it does get harder and harder to just focus on those moments. I I have uh, young children. I have twins. They're 11 years old. And I have always been a very, very results-oriented person. When I was in school, I had to get an A. I didn't really care how I got an A. I didn't really care a whole heck of a lot. If I actually learned the material, I was going to get an A. I was going to do whatever it took to get an A. And that would mean... Uh, maybe I would pay attention for the most part in class, take good notes, but then the night before I'd cram for the test and memorize it because I have a phenomenal memory. I can memorize just about anything in a relatively reasonable amount of time. And I got A's my entire life. I was a, I got a top 10 graduate in my high school class, graduated with a 4.0 in my major in college. 
and like I'm not bragging, I'm just telling you that I was a results-oriented person and I was going to accomplish the goal, the goal, the goal being to get an A. An, an issue I have with that personally, this is you know me personally explaining why that is not a good way to live life, is because you do miss out more on the enjoyment of the process. So when I had kids 11 years ago, I vowed to change my life and perspective and mindset on things as much as I could and enjoy every moment, every hour, every day, every step of the process with my children and try to live you know, more aspects of life in that moment. I'm going to, I'm getting kind of deep here, but if you, if you connect the dots with me, I, you know, I would sit here and tell you my, my nature is to say, is to just look at the results and say, it doesn't matter what happens against West Virginia or Delaware or Iowa or anything like that. The, the results this year are Ohio State and Michigan, period. It doesn't matter if they beat everybody by 70. If they lose to Ohio State and Michigan, I will tell you that a large portion of this season is a failure. But I'm trying, I'm trying not to do that again. I, I know I'm going to be hypocritical here because the process, as James Franklin talked about, it's difficult to win these games. And when I see Penn State's offense struggle, and I'll get to the wide receivers and some football specific stuff here in the second segment, but you see the wide receivers struggle and you think, okay, well, how are they going to play against Illinois? Or I'm sorry, against Ohio State and, and Michigan. Well, there's where a lot of the concerns come from. The, the offensive line has not necessarily played up to, up to expectation. That's where the concern comes from in the future. But they did win. They won. I know, I know the players are enjoying it with all the hard work they do. You only get 12, 13 games a year unless you make the playoff. The coaches are enjoying it. They work 365 days a year. So for those people who are so closely involved, it is it is their nature to enjoy the process, to enjoy each and every moment because they know each and every moment is difficult. We on the outside, that means us fans, you, us in the media, you as fans, it's much easier for us to say, hey, well, hey, here, you know, here's what you're going to have to do because this isn't going to work. Uh, down the road against better opponents. Again, the NFL is different. The NFL, it doesn't matter if you look absolutely horrible one night like the Steelers offense did uh, against the Browns. If you find a way to win, you move on and there's a good chance you're going to play better next time. So, uh, like I said, I, I've tried. I truly haven't. I've made a lot of progress over the last 11 years with my kids and staying in the moment and, and not always just looking at the results down the road. But that is covering Penn State. That kind of is and always has been the the barometer because you go into every year and you've got seven or eight relatively easy wins on the schedule, if not more. And you don't judge Penn State based on those seven or eight wins. So your your mind is in, in the media or as fans, your mind is really always looking ahead to those couple of games that matter and trying to determine if you're if you're good enough beforehand, you know, to 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 win those kinds of games. So I get where James Franklin's coming from. Wins are difficult in college football. They're gonna have a difficult challenge Saturday against Iowa. It is the wideout, but they're favored by two touchdowns again. And we think Iowa's a pretty good team. And Penn State's favored by two touchdowns. So uh, no matter how they look against the Hawkeyes, what we're gonna be doing, what you're gonna be doing, what I'm gonna be doing. We're going to result, resort right back to some of these things I've been talking about. Well, how's that going to relate to the Ohio State and Michigan game? 
We can try not to do it. Uh, it's it's it gets to be difficult sometimes. Okay, let's get into some football things here and why we come out of the Illinois game with a little bit more concern from my perspective than what I had going into the game. This is me getting back to you know <laughs> everything I said in the first segment. I'm going to try not to do this and project going forward, but this is the concern. And, and, and number one for me is the wide receivers. Okay, my... Biggest question mark coming into this season was, are Penn State's wide receivers good enough to go up against quality Big Ten defenses and and have good days and, and be able to get open down the field? Is there a legitimate number one guy on the team? Well, then, you know, Keandre Lambert-Smith went out and had a nice game against West Virginia. And I remember somebody posting at me. You know, hey, Geiger, is KLS a number one? Has he proven to you yet that he's a number one? Well, no. I mean, again, I'll go back. I don't think West Virginia's defense is any good at all. And then the second game was against uh, was against Delaware. So that that game, you just you toss out as a practice scrimmage. So, but KLS did have a good game uh, in the uh, in the first one against uh, uh, WVU. Four catches, 123 yards, two touchdowns, including the 70 yarder. They're not going deep at all. Now, if you watch the game against Illinois, and I was at the stadium watching it from the high view, I'm not sure yet. I, I didn't go back and listen to you know listen to the announcers. I'm not sure how much they focused on this during the game. Hopefully, some of you can comment and post in the comments about. I don't think I don't think Illinois defenders really respected Penn State's receivers all that much. They were in man to man coverage. Uh, it looked like pretty much the entire game. Uh, go, you know, just putting their guys on an island one on one with the Penn State receivers saying, beat us, beat us if you can. And they didn't. Okay. They didn't. The, Illinois was able to keep the receivers in front of them. Drew Aller, this is an interesting component. Um, Drew was 16 of 33, so under 50%, com- only 48% completion, threw for 208 yards, continues to take the short routes. The check down passes, the shorter routes, the the stuff that the defense is giving them. Now, he's a young quarterback, and he's a really smart quarterback. And in sports, you do take what the defense gives you. There, there absolutely is that element of a young quarterback. Don't turn the ball over. Manage the game. Do we want to see Drew Aller just manage the game? Do we want to see a five-star quarterback just throw six, eight, ten yards and passes. Now, look, if you're winning, doesn't matter, right? It gets back to what I said during the first segment. Is this going to work when you face a better defense? Because you can throw all these six and eight, ten yard passes. Once you get into the red zone, Ohio State and Michigan's defense are probably going to be just as good as Penn State's defense is in the red. This is exactly the way Penn State's defense play. They'll give you some of this underneath stuff. They'll give you five, six yards at a time, and you can get some first downs on some drives. And when push comes to shove, Penn State's got better defensive players than these teams have offensive players. And, and Penn State's defense is able to get the job done. 
But they're really, okay, so Aller escaped the pocket against West Virginia, stepped up, threw the dart to KLS, who scored the 72-yard touchdown. I wouldn't consider that a deep ball because that was not the play call. That was not, you know, just sending a guy 40, 50 yards down the field and trying for a, a deep shot. That was more of a fluky kind of kind of play. Now, they did have a nice play call to Liam Clifford, and Aller made a phenomenal throw at the end of the first half. Liam Clifford made a tremendous catch down the right sideline to set up a field. That, that Maybe you can consider that a little bit of a deep shot. It was for a total of uh, 33 yards. But again, I'm still talking more of the 40 to 50 yard variety, and we haven't seen Penn State attempt that at all. I thought we would against Illinois. Why didn't we against Illinois? Again, I'll go back. My theory is I don't think Illinois' defenders respected Penn State's receivers that they could do that. So you get up and you that, that they were good enough to run by them or, or, you know, get deep on them and then make the kind of catch. And so that's what that's the defense we're going to continue to see until those receivers prove they can get separation down the field and Drew Aller has enough time and can get them the ball. All right. So the leading receiver in the game was Nick Singleton. Three catches for 35 for 49 yards. Okay. The second leading receiver was Tyler Warren, a tight end, three catches for 35 yards. The leading wide receiver was KLS, three catches, 23 yards. Theo Johnson, tight end, two catches, 32 yards. So that's uh, 18 targets there, by the way. Uh, tar- Singleton was targeted four times, Tyler Warren, four. KLS five, Theo Johnson five. That's 18 targets and 11 catches for, uh, give or take, 49, 35, probably about 120 yards, 100, 130 yards. But that's a running back, two wide receivers. They were missing Harrison Wallace, the third in the game. Um, he was listed as doubtful, did not play. They're going to need to get him back and healthy because he is part of your upper end depth. Caden Saunders had two catches for 19 yards. Liam Clifford, one for 33. Where has Dante Cephas been? One catch, 13 yards. He has four catches for, let's see how many yards. I got I to refresh the, uh, the stats page here. But he has four catches on the season in three games. This is a guy that coming into the year was considered the biggest offseason addition. He has four catches for 71 yards, no touchdowns. He's basically been a non-factor. Okay. I don't, I don't know if it's just the acclimation process to a bigger and better level of football than he played at Kent State. But right now, Dante Cephas is not a difference maker. Malik McLean, one catch for six yards. He dropped two. I was high on Malik McLean after West Virginia. Looked really good. Had four catches. Um, but as of right now, Malik McLean has a total of six catches. So he has two catches in the past two games. Do you respect these Penn State receivers? Do you think there's a number one guy? Maybe KLS can be a number one guy. But follow follow my line of thinking here. If if better defenses are just going to go straight man up against these receivers and say, beat us. Beat us down the field. We'll give you the six, seven-yard catches. Beat us down the field. If they can't do that, what are these defensive coordinators going to do? They're just going to continue that process and they're going to continue to load up in the box with more helmets established to stop the running game. Okay, well, 
That's the issue right there. If, if the receivers aren't, if they prove to not necessarily be good enough to make defenses honest, now you've put the running game more in jeopardy. And so far, we've yet to see a long touchdown run from Nicholas Singleton. Catron had an 18-yarder. Nick had a 16-yarder so far this year. Um, we've yet to see the, the the long run. That's not to say we won't see it. Nick could, Nick could break one off for 70 yards at, at any point if he gets a, the right hole. But again, if the, if the wide receivers are not tearing it up on the outside, well, then one, Drew Aller doesn't have the weapons to live up to the potential that uh, uh, his great potential. And if you've got more defenders in the box to stop the run, that's going to make it more difficult to sustain drives. These are the issues Penn State's going to have to figure out. It's only been three games. They've scored 30 points in what? 10 consecutive games, which is the longest streak in the country. Uh, the def- and the defense can, can help out the defense. They scored 20 points off the defense, forcing five turnovers though. So, that to me is I'm not I'm not uh, as much of an X's and O's guys where I'm going to sit down here and try to brainstorm 15 different schemes for Mike Yersich to figure this out. But he's going to have to. He makes a lot of money and he's a good offensive coordinator and he's going to have to figure this out. He's going to have to get these receivers in position to make plays 20 and 30 yards down the field. You have to because that's what you're going to need to open things up for the rest of the offense. Okay. And so, and then Drew Aller, you know, while he, I mentioned this on my radio show Monday, we heard that he went 13 or 14 practices without turning the ball over. And you think, wow, that's awesome. Good, good for him. Young quarterback. He protects the ball. Okay. But against this, now I'm thinking it's a little fishy because now I'm thinking against this level of defense, if he went 13 or 14 practices, not turning the ball over. My guess is all he was doing in those practices was just being a game manager. Okay. Is that, is that a reasonable assumption? I, because I don't know that he's, it, it, I don't know that these receivers, even in practice, are good enough to go up against Kalen King and Johnny Dixon and beat them down the field and make a 40 or 50 yard catch in practice. So if they weren't turning the ball, maybe this is just who they're going to be. They're going to be a ball control offense and they're going to try to get six, eight, nine yards at a time with some dinking and dunking stuff over the middle. But again, when you play better defenses, you can get away with that for a while. But one of Penn State's staples going back to the Joe Moorhead era is let's chuck the ball deep. Let's get it up there. Let's get it out there. Trust our guys. See if they can make a 50-50 catch. That continued with Ricky Ronnie. That continued, uh, I'm trying to remember, not a whole lot with Kirk Shiraka, but that season just really got away from him. But look, I know Mike Yersich wants to throw the ball deep. I've gone back and watched a lot of footage of Oklahoma State film. They threw the ball deep a ton there. Different league, different uh, defenses in the Big 12. I understand that. I know Mike Yersich wants to throw the ball deep. And look, any quarterback with Drew Aller's arm, you know he wants to throw the ball deep. So the good news is the glasses have full discussion there is Drew is taking what the defense gives him. He's going to take the shorter routes and he's going to be patient. And that is a great, a great attribute for a young quarterback who understands one, the most important thing is you can't turn the ball over and just take what the defense gives you. But I, <laughs> I look at I looked at the way the receivers played and what Illinois' defensive defensive um, game plan was against those receivers. Again, three of the top four 
pass catchers uh, from the game, one running back and two tight ends. And Caden Saunders had two catches, Liam won, Cephas won, Malik McLean won. Now, are there other ways to go about this? Sure, they're absolutely. I think getting Nicholas Singleton and Catron Allen out of the backfield to catch some screen passes more, that can be very, very effective. You can turn a, a, a three-yard screen pass into a 30-yard gain with one of those guys in, in, in a heartbeat. I'm not predicting doom and gloom here by any stretch. I'm just trying to tell you that what they've got does not look to me like a high-powered, explosive offense because I don't see the receivers being good enough to, to do that. Can they be a high-powered, explosive offense going uh, think about things completely differently? Well, I don't know. That's what Mike Yersen is going to have to figure out. Throw the ball to the tight ends a ton, throw a lot of screens, do some different things, some trick plays even, some some flea flickers, some, you know, we saw the halfback pass with Trey Potts, whatever. There are different ways to go about things. I'm just telling you that if I'm a quality defense and I don't think Penn State's receivers can beat me down the field, I'm going to get up in them, I'm going to press them, and I'm going to go one-on-one, and if they beat you, they beat you. But if they don't, now that's allowing me seven, maybe even eight defenders in the box to get a helmet uh, to try to slow down the running game, and that's that's the game plan I expect to see until and if some of these receivers prove that uh, if anybody can step up and prove he's the number one guy, but still, let alone the bigger the bigger aspect of it is just prove that they can get down the field and get separation. Back to the third and final segment of the We Are podcast. I'll get to the Iowa game wideout here in just a second. But uh, Joey Porter Jr., how many of you saw uh, either at live or on replay during Monday Night Football? He makes the final play uh, against Cleveland and uh, uh, game ends. The Steelers hold on. Their defense was spectacular. Very interesting, though, because Joey was grabbing that dude. That's pass interference to me. Uh, it's pass interference. If you saw it live or you've seen the replays, he had both hands on the guy at one point. Now, you can say uncatchable, uncatchable. Maybe so, sure. You could have still called holding, though, defensive holding. This is the fine line of sports, though, man. This is, you want to talk about um, how very small things impact lives and perspective perceptive perspective uh your perception of someone joey was sensational his final year at penn state was thought to be a first round pick although he, he slipped to the first pick of the second round to the steelers if he gets a penalty there which he absolutely should have if he gets a penalty there uh you know who knows what happens maybe maybe the steelers defense still holds on and they win the game if not, you know, Joey's taking a lot of blame. Instead, regardless, he didn't get a penalty. It doesn't matter if he grabbed the guy. If, 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 the, if, the, if the official doesn't call it, it doesn't, it doesn't exist, you know? So uh, Joey gets to feel good about himself after the game. The Steelers get to feel good about him. They can work on technique to make sure, hey, don't grab him by the jersey again. But the Steelers won the game. And so 
Joey gets to feel great about himself all week. First big time play he's made in the NFL. And it just goes to show how, uh, how fortunate you can be sometimes to get a call. Maybe you get a call. Maybe you don't get the call. Uh, but Joey certainly got the call. If you go back and watch the replay, it's all over social media. Um, again, whether it's pass interference or not, maybe depends on people's perspective of, or the ref's perspective of it's a catchable ball. You certainly could have called him for holding as well. But hey, I'm a Steelers fan. I was happy to see that no call was made. Joey was elated to see no call was made. And, uh, before I move on to back to Penn State, that was just an incredible effort by the Steelers defense because the offense was terrible. And you got to seriously start to wonder about Kenny Pickett, Matt Canada, and a lot of things on offense. So, all right, I'll leave that to DK and Kristen and Halleck to, to break that stuff down for the Steelers. But, uh, back to Penn State, Iowa this week. <laughs> Here we are again, two touchdown favorite, you know? I mean, we could be out there and we could say, oh boy, this is going to be a good test. I was going to be a good test. Well, Penn State's favored by two touchdowns. It's the wideout, you know? Uh, Penn State's generally not, not going to lose a wideout really to, to almost anybody unless maybe it's Ohio State or Michigan coming in. So you got to feel great about Penn State's chances. The defense is so good. Penn State's defense is so good. And I'm not really sure that Iowa, is going to be doing a whole lot of different things than what Iowa typically does. They'll bring in Cade McNamara as the quarterback, former Michigan guy. Uh, so maybe there's some more to be worried about there. Uh, uh, but uh, again, you know, Iowa is not going to reinvent the wheel. Kirk Ferentz, after you know, twenty, what's it, twenty five years now, his longest tenured coach in in college football, twenty four, twenty five years. He's not going to reinvent the wheel, even though his son, Brian, the offense coordinator, is very, very much on the hot seat there. I think they've got to have, they've got to score a certain amount of points or average a certain amount of points or whatever this year for Brian to, uh, I think I got this right, to keep his job. So Iowa's offense is going to have to be better. They've scored 24-20 and 41 points in their first three games. Can they come into Beaver Stadium for a wideout and score enough to beat Penn State? No, I don't think so. But I am very, very much looking forward to Iowa's defensive game plan against Penn State. I just spent 13 minutes talking about the receivers and how that could impact a lot of things for Penn State, for the offense, for Drew Aller, for the running game, everything. So I'm curious to see what Iowa does. They're going to make it difficult. They always do on Penn State's offense. So no matter how much Penn State wins by this week, and I do think it, it, it it'll be double figures, that um, – we'll find out a lot more again based on will will we get to see Drew take some shots down the field will Iowa allow that will Mike Yersich call some of those plays or are we just going to continue to see game managing game managing game managing game managing I mean you can be successful to a degree with that but um, the if you go another week and you don't allow Drew to take some shots Again, other teams are just going to continue to go that route. It'll be a wideout, always a sensational environment at uh, Beaver Stadium for a wideout. 7.30 kickoff. Again, Penn State's favored by two touchdowns. Still number seven in the country. They're 3-0, and um, but not a whole heck of a lot of movement uh, around the standings. Uh, you know, I know Florida State jumped them and is now number four after, after their good win earlier over LSU. But, uh, Penn State's right there, right there in position. Nothing has really changed in terms of where we thought the team would be, uh, the, at this point, uh, compared to where, you know, where 
we thought they could be or, or some ups and downs. Again, the issue is the receivers. Let's see how they figure that out. Looking ahead, <laughs> projecting to Ohio State and Michigan, I'm going to need to see more. I'm, I'm going to need to see more out of the offense to think that they can go into Columbus and win or that they can beat Michigan. But let me point this out. It's not like Michigan played uh, phenomenal offensively in its game over the weekend. They beat uh, Bowling Green 31-6. to let me take a look. Uh, J.J. McCarthy, I know he threw three interceptions. Eight of 13, 143 yards, two touchdowns, three interceptions. They might be having some of these same discussions in Ann Arbor. Well, J.J. McCarthy's not going to be able to beat Penn State throwing three interceptions. You know, So, again, that's just the way things work when you're playing teams that you should beat in college football. We start to project things a little bit forward. But, uh, boy. Uh, 3-0 for Penn State. Should learn a lot this weekend in the whiteout. Um, and I uh, appreciate everybody for tuning in this week. I'm, I'm hoping we can try to maybe get these podcasts back on Sunday mornings. I got to check with that about the schedule and what our, what our availability is to be able to do the podcast. Uh, for now, I think they're going to continue to go Monday mornings. Uh, hopefully that's not an inconvenience to some, some of you folks who are listening. Uh, and I apologize for being a, del- a day late this week because I was just a little under the weather. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll talk to you after Iowa. Iowa.